We're in John chapter 14, and in this passage, we are looking at the final words of Jesus. We've labeled this whole section that we're going to be studying, the parting word. Jesus, referred to as the word, is parting. He's leaving. This message then is his parting message. It's, it's the parting word that he gives to his disciples. These are the words with which he leaves them to live by. Whenever someone leaves your life, there's a certain level of difficulty in learning to live life after they're gone. Whenever someone that you love dies or, or a close friend moves away, life changes. The part of your life that that person had a personal influence on significantly changes. And so there's, there's significant effort that's devoted to learning how to move on after someone is gone. Well, what we're going to look at tonight, we're going to title this Life After Jesus. Because in, in this message... Jesus is telling them how to get on with their lives after he's gone. Adjusting to life after Jesus, who's been a significant, massive portion of the disciples' lives for the past three years. How, how do they adjust to life after Jesus is gone? What does that look like for them? Because there's going to be a massive hole. They've left everything and devoted their lives to this man for three years. How do they move on? How do they go back to lives after he's gone. If you've had a close one in your life that's, that's died, you'll know the kind of, some of the difficulty of that, of, of, of coping with them leaving and learning to adjust to life now that they're gone. Jesus is preparing his disciples for a moment like that in John chapter 14. Tonight we're going to look specifically at verses 12 through 14. Let's read that. You can follow along in your Bibles. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
In this passage, Jesus is bracing and preparing his disciples for life after his departure. We're going to break this down tonight as four realities in the life of every believer. Four realities in the life of every believer. And I want you to understand that within the context of Jesus saying, these are the things that are to be true in your life after I'm gone. How do you adjust to life after I leave? Well, here here are four realities that are to be in the life of anyone who claims to be my believer. Number one, they, or the believers, further Christ's works. They further Christ's works. Every believer is to further the work of Christ. He is to continue the work of Christ. He is to carry on the work that Christ began. That's found in verses 12 through 14. And and as we read those again, I want to make the note that these are some of the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in all of Scripture. There is so much false understanding of doctrine and salvation and what you have the ability to do as a believer that's based off of these verses. So we're going to read them again, and I want to show you how these verses are supporting this message that every believer is to be furthering Christ's work. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. In this line, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, if you believe in me, then you will be able to do the works that I do. It's a significant statement. We have to ask the question, what does Jesus mean when he says that? When we think of what Jesus has done, the things that jump to mind are probably things like Jesus walking on water, the works of Jesus, that that he fed the 5,000, that he healed the sick, that he made the blind see, that he made the lame walk, that he raised people from the dead. I firmly believe that when Jesus says this, what he is saying to the disciples is not, it is not that they will be able to perform the miracles that he performed. It's not what Jesus is saying in this passage. Several reasons that I believe that's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying here. The first is that history just doesn't support that. Nowhere in the history of the church are men performing the same miracles that Jesus performs. Now, you may hear that and immediately say, wait, what about in the book of Acts when some of the apostles were healing sickness and even raising people from the dead? Isn't that a fulfillment of this passage? No, it's not. And here's why. Because what Jesus promises in this passage, verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In other words, the power that Jesus is talking about is available to everyone who believes in Jesus, not just the apostles. Not just the men who lived with Jesus. That the ability to do the works that Jesus did is given to everyone who is truly a believer. And throughout the history of the church, that has never been done. It's not power that's available to everyone who claims faith in Jesus Christ. If it is, it's bad news for all of us, right? Unless you have some secret powers that you haven't introduced the rest of us to. 
isn't happening in the history of the church. History just doesn't, doesn't support this. More than that, when we understand the, the role of Jesus' works, the whole gospel of John has been set up this way. Why did Jesus perform miracles? To show that he was the son of God. So it'd be a little problematic if you had the ability to perform miracles in that way, right? A little misleading. When the whole gospel of John is saying, I can do these signs, therefore I'm the son of God. Like you are not God. And you performing the works and the miracles of Jesus is incredibly problematic. But so many take this passage and preach it as we have the ability to heal sicknesses. And if we just tap into our faith deep enough that we can raise people from the dead. That power is never promised to you. This verse is not talking about that. And anyone who teaches that message as the essence of what salvation gives is preaching a lie. It's a dangerous, dangerous lie because so many find hope in that message. It's just not true. Jesus isn't promising that in this passage. So we've talked a lot about what he's not promising. What is Jesus saying? If we're to continue the works of Jesus, they further the works of Jesus. What's central in the mind of Jesus in verse 12 is that we continue his gospel work. We continue his gospel work. In other words, Jesus is beginning something in his life, actually continuing a line, a long history of salvation that's been carrying on since the beginning of creation. Jesus is looking to the apostles and to everyone who believes in him and saying that you are going to continue furthering my work. What I have done, you will do. He adds something to that, and it's helpful in our understanding to that. He says this, Greater works than these he will do. Surely it's not talking about miracles. Surely it's not, I fed 5,000, you'll feed 10,000. Or I raised a man from the dead, you'll raise 20 men from the dead. Jesus is referring to the events that are going to take place until he returns, which is the gospel message spreading to every nation, more men and women believing, placing their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ, the crucified God. He's looking to every believer and saying, I, I have come and I have initiated this new covenant. And, and what's going to take place as we move forward in this salvation history is that greater things are going to happen as the gospel spreads. And if you are a believer, you have a key and fundamental part in that. If you claim to be a follower and a believer in Christ, you further Christ's work. The gospel is carried out in you. The mission of the church is fulfilled in you. And in that sense, what Christ did, if you believe in him, you are able to do. Even greater things than Christ did, you are able to do. Jesus continues this message in verse 13. Again, so misapplied. In this context, remember, of the gospel, the purpose, and the mission of the church, he says, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So again, often misapplied understanding of asking God for things. Jesus says in this context, ask me. Ask me and I'll give it to you. Ask in my name and I will do it. This verse is not a license for any request to be attached to the name of Jesus and a promise that you will have it. You cannot say in the name of Jesus, I want a house or a car or a million dollars or whatever, and you will have it. Like, again, if that, history doesn't support that. If that were the case, like, it'd be cool in a sense, but, but it doesn't happen. These are promises to every believer. So he's not, this is not, this is not a passage about materialism. This is not a passage about promoting the things that you want. This is the same context as the previous statement, that you're furthering the work of Christ. And that in doing that, as you ask Christ for things, he will give them to you if they're asked in his name. The kingdom can be furthered. When, when Jesus says, ask it in my name, I don't think he's referring to just like a superstitious approach to attaching Jesus' name to a prayer. This is more in line with uh, the indication of John in 1 John chapter 5 when he says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When Jesus says, ask anything in, in accordance with my name, ask for anything in my, in my name, he's telling them to be asking for things that are in direct accordance with his will, with his purpose, with his mission. And then if you ask Christ for those things, he's going to give them to you. He's going to give them to you. He's going to give you the ability to accomplish this reality in your life. He's going to give you what you need to further his work. That's the question. Do I have everything that I need to be obedient to Christ? Yeah, you do because of this verse. Do I have everything that I need to be faithful to the mission of the church and, and my role as a believer? Yes, you do because of these verses. Ask him and he will give to you freely. It's an interesting note that we can make on this passage. There's a there's a lot of debate that goes around about whether or not it's okay to pray to anyone but God the Father. Is it okay to pray to Jesus? Or do we just pray to dear Heavenly Father? Who's the right person to pray to? I think there's biblical arguments for all sorts of different things in, in this context. But in this passage, I want to direct your attention to verse 14, where Jesus says, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In other words, Jesus is directing us in this passage to pray to Jesus. Like there are absolutely room within scripture for us to pray to Jesus Christ. Now, I think the broader picture, the general pattern in the New Testament is that we pray to the Father, but that there are things that we can ask Jesus for, specifically in this context. What about when Paul is writing his letters and he says, Lord, come quickly. It's a prayer to Jesus. Jesus, return. So there's a place to be praying to Jesus, not just the Father. And I think there's even danger in starting to pray, thinking, I'm talking to God the Father right now. Jesus, you're, you stay out of this. This is me and the Father. Like the, the, It's all wrapped up in all of our prayers anyways. But the precedence here is interesting. 
Jesus says, ask me. Ask me in my name and I will do it. Well, it's time for us to move on to point number two, a second reality in the life of the believer. The first one is that they are furthering Christ's works. The second one is that they keep Christ's commands. Every believer keeps Christ's commands. So for asking questions here, question one would be, are you furthering Christ's work in your life? Because that's to be a reality in the life of every believer. The message of salvation, the message of faith alone that's found in Christ, that's a message that was preached in a new way after the life of Christ. Are you furthering that work? The next question is, are you keeping Christ's commands? Because this also is to be a reality in the life of every believer, that they keep Christ's commands. Look at verse 15. This verse is so simple. I love how accessible this is for every one of us. Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A four-year-old can understand this concept. If you love me, you obey me. If you don't love me, that will show up in your life through disregarding what I tell you to do. There's no concept biblically for someone who loves God but doesn't obey him. It doesn't exist. This is a reality in the life of every believer that if you love God, you keep his commandments. Jesus is bracing his disciples for the fact that he's leaving. His message to them is keep my commandments. I'm leaving. I'm departing. I'm, I'm not going to talk with you much longer. Keep my commandments. I'm going to come back one day, but in the meantime, keep my commandments. If you love me, that's what you'll do. If you love me, you'll obey me. Keep my commandments. So question that we have to ask is what does it mean to keep Christ's commandments? Well, what I would encourage you towards as far as your understanding of keeping Christ's commandments is that you obey what he says to do. Whatever Christ commands, we do. So when Christ says preach the gospel, we preach the gospel. When Christ says, do whatever you can to remove yourself from sin, we we are extreme and radical in our approach to sin. When Christ says, don't lust, we run from lust. When Christ says, don't don't desire something that is your neighbor's, we we run from that. Go go read the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus is is reiterating much of what the Old Testament calls us to do and and calling us to go even further than that and compare yourself with that standard, by the way, in Matthew 5, 48, where he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's calling us to a life of holiness and in obedience to him, that's what we pursue. Does that define you? I don't believe that The application and implication of this passage is that if you've sinned in the last week, that you're not a believer. But my question is, are you pursuing holiness? Are you running after Christ? Are you living, trying to be obedient to him? Because that is a reality in the life of every believer. And if you look at your life and you don't see that, Christ, I believe, would stand here and say to you, you don't love me. 
You don't love me. You, you are not one of my followers. You are not a believer. So, I encourage all of you to evaluate yourselves in light of what Jesus says is the reality in the life of every believer. The flip side of this is that there is so much assurance to be found in this verse. If you have questions about your salvation, look at your life. You want to know if you love Jesus? It's not rocket science to figure that out. You want to know if you love Jesus? Do you keep his commands? Are you pursuing obedience to him? Is that your desire? Do you want to be like Christ? Are you running from your sin? Are you fixing your eyes on him? If so, believe that Jesus would stand here and say that you love him. Because that's what he says in John chapter 14. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And so this is a reality in the life of every believer. One, they further Christ's work, his salvific work. And second, they, they keep Christ's commands. And it brings us to a third point tonight in verses 16 and 17. The third reality in the life of every believer is that they are indwelt. They are indwelt by the Spirit. This is a reality in the life of every believer. Look at verses 16 and 17. Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. In these words, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, I'm leaving, I'm leaving, but... I will send you a helper. I will send you someone who will help you in the things that we just talked about. I will send you someone who will help you to further Christ's works. I will send you someone who will help you to keep Christ's commands. I will send you a helper. And he identifies that helper as the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, that third member of the Trinity of God, is the helper that Jesus will send. He acknowledges that the world can't receive this Spirit. This Spirit is only available to the believer. He says the world cannot receive Him. Why? Because it does not see Him or know Him. The world doesn't comprehend the Holy Spirit. They can't see the Holy Spirit. They don't know the Holy Spirit. And so it doesn't even make sense to them. But you, believer, this is a reality in your life. You will have the Spirit in you. And He will do so many things in you. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. And he's doing so many different things in your life. The, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He helps us to live righteously. He, in Romans 8, he, he gives us life. He indwells us. He leads us. He bears witness that we are children of God. He helps and enables our walk with God. We can devote a whole sermon series to all the works of the Spirit in the life of a believer. 
In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what he's saying is, if the Spirit is in you, which is true of every believer, this is the fruit that will come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer. And he's a helper. You look at those first two lists and and would do well to acknowledge the difficulty of that. But you're not doing it alone. You have the Holy Spirit, the helper who is within you, who is enabling you to live obediently to God. Really important verse in our understanding of how the Holy Spirit works is in verse 17. At the end, Jesus says, you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. A lot of people ask the question of, was the Holy Spirit indwelling people in the Old Testament or was just that just happening in the New Testament after Acts chapter 2? Um, I think Jesus describes, describes it well here. He looks at the disciples and he says, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's with you right now. Even though Acts chapter 2 hadn't happened, the Holy Spirit hadn't come down in that sense, he says, the Holy Spirit's with you, disciples, and he will be in you. It's a good description of the difference between the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament and in the New Testament with, with believers. That he was with them, he will be in them, and we are a lot of people that think a lot of different things about that. So we're not going to get too deep into that tonight, but it's an important verse in our understanding of, of the change in the role of the Holy Spirit. Jesus hinges on that, and in verse 18, he leads us to a fourth reality in the life of every believer. A fourth reality in the life of every believer. Number four is that they faithfully await Christ's return. They faithfully await Christ's return. In verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm leaving, but I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So in those three verses, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving, but know that I'm not leaving forever. I will come back to you. Then clearly, based on the context and all the implications of what Jesus says in these verses, he's talking about the fact that one day he's going to come a second time. The second coming of Christ that we're still awaiting today, Jesus is promising in this passage. He says, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back. Why does he start talking about this? I believe in the context of the realities that are in the life of every, every believer as they prepare for the departure of Jesus, he's telling them that they are to faithfully await his return. And faithfully is the key concept there. That while he's gone, they are faithfully and obediently waiting for him to return. You wouldn't expect the next verse. But Jesus says this, I'm, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back. You'll know that I'm in the Father, that you are in me, that I am in you. Verse 21, it's unexpected. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Did you catch that? Look at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Jesus already said that, remember? 
Verse 15, Jesus already covered this, that the people that love me keep my commandments. He comes back to it here because as he introduces this message of I'm leaving, but I will come back, the disciples start to have questions in their heart. What do we do in the meantime? How is this all going to work out? What's the timing of all of this? How does Jesus respond to that? If you love me, you obey me. You remain faithful. Even though I'm leaving, I'm coming back. You remain faithful. He, verse 21, he who has my commandments keeps them and keeps them is the the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father. And, And here's Christ's return. I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, in verse 22, has questions about this. Jesus, you're leaving, but you're not gonna leave us forever. You're gonna come back and you're gonna disclose yourself to us. What's going on with all that? Judah says that, Lord, what then has happened that you're going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? It's a great question. What's going on with this whole second coming of Christ? Well, look at how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Like that's Jesus' response to Judas' question about how all this works out in the context of Jesus' second coming. If you love me, you keep my word. Yeah, but how, how does this all work together? If you love me, you keep my word. When are you going to come back? If you love me, you keep my word. He's not spelling it out for them. He's telling them that they are to faithfully await his return. He's telling them that the one to which he returns the one who will dwell with him forever like we saw in the beginning of John chapter 14, that is reserved for those who love him. That's it. That's what he says in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. But the flip side of that is horrifying. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The application of all of this is believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. If you believe Jesus, if you love Jesus, then these four realities will be present in your life. You will further his work. You will keep his commands. You will be indwelt by the Spirit, and you will faithfully await his return. So I want to encourage you towards pursuing all of those. If you truly love him, it's not something that you're pursuing in your own strength, but point three is so important that you're doing it with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, he's aiding you, he's helping you. If you don't see these four things in your life, then I would encourage you to talk to your small group leaders about that because according to the words of Jesus, that's a red flag in the life of someone who thinks that they're a believer but doesn't have these in in their life. So I encourage you to talk to your leaders about that if you have any questions about that. And uh, let me close us in prayer and we're going to dismiss the small group.